Hello, everybody. My name is Danny Grant. I am an artist, a drawing and painting instructor, a podcaster. I live in Austin, Texas, and I would like to welcome you back to the studio. This is the place where I interview and talk shop with other professional artists, and we get an inside glimpse into their daily lives as professional artists. On this episode is artist, gallery owner, and fiction writer Quint Cordaire. Quint and his wife Linda are the owners of the gallery that represents my work in Napa, California. Uh, the gallery is called Quint Cordaire Fine Art. And this episode is actually part one of my conversation with Quint. Um, I realized when we had to end recording this episode that there was quite a bit of material we hadn't gotten to yet that I wanted to talk with him about. And so I am thankful that Quint has agreed to do a part two. Um, so for those of you who aren't familiar with Quint Cordaire, um just a little bit of background. When I first became aware of Quint, um, it's probably 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. Um, I, I, he was an, a painter, an artist, and a gallery owner. Um, and now uh, the vast majority of his creative energy is devoted to writing fiction. And um, I, I find, this, find that quite fascinating uh, to, to make that... Uh, jump. So, um, Quint is currently in the middle of writing an epic story called Idolatry that um, I believe, when finished, is going to be uh, is going to be in five volumes. Volumes one and two are finished and available now on Amazon. Um, part one is called Genesis, and part two, which I'm reading right now, is called A New Eden. Um, and they're great. Um, I, I'm just so impressed with his work. Um, so anyway, this is part one of our conversation. And we talk about all sorts of stuff relating to um, life in the arts. Um, I know that's a, uh, a vague description of uh, what we talk about. So anyway, I will shut up now and let you listen to Quint Cordaire. Enjoy. All right, I have Quint Cordaire with me on the line from Napa, California. Hey, Quint, how's it going? Hi, Danny. Great. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to do this. Um, sure. Let's see. Um, so it is. It's about noon your time in in Napa, California. Um, so what would you normally be doing right now if if I wasn't interrupting uh, your normal day? What would happen in a, a, a on a usual Quint day at this time? Well, it, it, in Napa, as everyone knows, we just sit around drinking wine. So I would probably <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, my, uh, my my days are are not uh, tightly formatted at the moment. It could vary by the day of the week, uh, by whatever activity I happen to be involved in most at the moment. Um, I don't know uh, how much your listeners know about uh, uh, my profession and, and uh, uh, should start with our situation. Um, 
uh, between mm-hmm. you and I, I own an art gallery, and you're a you're a painter, and and we uh, we represent uh, uh, some of your wonderful work in our gallery in Napa. Um, my wife and I own and run that business, and she mm-hmm. uh, spends uh, most of uh, the normal business hours and, and quite a bit more uh, managing the gallery and working there. Um, I opened the gallery myself about 20 years ago, and uh, it was 20 years in July, and she came on board about uh, 10 years ago, and and we've gradually transitioned to where she's managing and running the gallery, and uh, which has allowed me to to start transitioning uh, towards what I've always been aiming to do and that's uh, uh, more fiction writing so now I'm I'm doing that mostly full-time uh, and with some uh, with with some participation in um, uh, gallery oversight and management and and a little bit of marketing and such but mostly my days are consumed with either writing fiction or thinking about fiction or editing it, editing it <laughs> or marketing it and um, trying to do on the fiction side, what so many uh, of so many painters and, and your colleagues are trying to do. And that's not only produce uh, good art in the written format with uh, fiction, but also trying to uh, uh, promote, uh, my work and trying to uh, sell it and figuring out how to make a living at it. So, yeah. So days can be uh, either completely consumed with working my way through a chapter or editing something for the first time or for the thirtieth time, or taking in corrections <laughs> from an editor or a copy editor. Uh, right now, I'm working with uh, an audiobook narrator who's narrating. Um, uh, the second part of my novel series, Idolatry. So he's reading that, oh, and cool. every once in a while he'll have questions and 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 uh, or things we need to need to discuss. Um, How did you go uh, about picking who would narrate your your novel? Were you looking for a certain a certain type of voice, or that seems like a um, I don't know. I feel like that's something I'd want to have a lot of control over. Uh, you know, it makes a big well, difference how your story comes out. When you come from something, particularly from an artistic side, if you're a creator yourself, I think yeah. one of the reasons that we do what we do, um, you know, unless you're on the commercial side, if you're an illustrator, if uh, you know, you're doing graphic right. design work, if you're, if, if you're already kind of locked into a mindset of, of doing work for someone else and taking direction from someone else, mm-hmm. uh, that's one thing. And you're much more accustomed to either collaborating or, you know, trying to be as creative as you can, but yet you're limited in how creative you can be. You're doing work for a client. Uh, well, you know, yeah. there's the side of it um, where we get a little bit of a crossover between that is uh, artists that, uh, uh, well, portrait commission artists say, or mural commission. Right, sure. Um, yeah. And even with you know portrait commissions, uh, you, you got to make the client uh, happy usually. 
um, or their family or whoever. Uh, So there's, you're taking some direction there. Uh, And I think, you know, the reason that one of the, one of the benefits to, to doing what you do, doing what I do is we enjoy having as much control as possible over our product. We get to make what we want to make and the way that we want to make it. So when you start to shift back away from that and allowing other people, you know, to to, to, uh, collaborate with you on a tangential type product, such as an audio book, um, it, 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 it can be a little comf- uncomfortable letting go. Um, yeah, it, it's like, uh, you know, a, a, a screenwriter having to step away from the film production process and letting right. the director do his thing. And even though, <laughs> even though the story doesn't turn out exactly the way you, you, you may have wanted it to, that's just part of the part of the process unless you're somehow contractually able to, to have complete control over the project, which doesn't often happen for more than yeah. So Yeah. The movie makes it seem like it would be like the ultimate in that. Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that was all the different moving parts. And Exactly. Yeah. And when, and when you're talking about, you know, doing something like an audiobook, unless you're reading your own and some authors yeah. do, uh, if you read your own, great. You know, do it exactly the way you want it. Um, however, you know, the professional voice actors are are accustomed and trained and experienced in uh, in creating different character voices and right. personas and pacing and delivery and and um, I considered reading my own work. I could probably do it. Uh, but there's also the technical side of it too. There's having a recording studio uh, mm-hmm. set up. When you're doing an audiobook, you really can't uh, do what I'm doing right now. Let's walk around with a, a phone or even just sit where I would normally sit uh, where I work and have a microphone set up because for, for audiobook quality, you really do need the sound dampening in a little, even if it's a homemade studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need the editing equipment to be able to go back in and edit things, and 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 that's all all doable and achievable. But it it, it takes time and it takes a situation. And and uh, but I think mostly for my work, uh, for the the big novel kind of things that I'm writing and all the different uh, voices, it just made mm-hmm. sense to to use somebody who. Uh, 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 is is an accomplished uh, voice actor, and Robin Field, uh, who did uh, the, the audiobook for the first part of the Idolatry series Genesis, he's uh, he's had a whole career of entertaining and acting, and and uh, his voice is his is his tool. The the way that your paintbrush is yours, and and uh, my keyboard is mine now, so. <laughs> So it made sense to uh, step back, turn it over to a pro, and uh, and see what he did with it. And and it was, it's been a pretty remarkable so far. You never get everything exactly the way you would have done it, but uh, yeah. a lot of it turns out to be a lot better. So that uh, well, that's 
that's the upside. Yeah, did it like hearing um hearing a professional kind of voice the story did it um in a way did it sort of like allow you to experience the story in a different way? That's a that's a wonderful observation and yes, it did. And 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 there were that must be were, interesting. Well, it be is interesting. That, it, it's yeah. hearing it's you know your own words through someone else's interpretation, and it is yeah. very surreal uh, in a, in a way, and 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 even discomforting at times, and and you know unfam- yeah. unfamiliar. But at the same time, it, 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 it's such an an honor and it, to hear yeah. your story being told uh, by someone else. I, I suppose you know, on on the painting side, it it, it might be like you know a, an old master having a student replicate or trying to to uh, replicate one of his works or something, and just seeing yeah, what sure. that other person brought to the same subject and the same trying to do the the same style. Although for a voice actor, they very much bring their own. I want to say interpretation. It is their own interpretation. It's yeah. uh, even the phrasing, even the emphasis on a particular word or a sentence, or the way they bring a paragraph to a conclusion, or particularly when you're getting into uh, uh, dialogue, the way lines yeah. are delivered, the pacing. Um, it's it's uh, probably the closest thing would be, say, a, a, a stage play writer. Uh, a right. Shakespeare, and he's got his actors, and 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 mm-hmm. even even if he were there directing the play himself, he has to let his actors right. uh, bring, you know, create the characters themselves and make it, you know, make them their own, and uh, he, he he can't dictate the way that every single line is done, or it, a it's counterproductive, and, and all his actors would quit within a month. Um, yeah. So, you can't. so what what do you think? Um, what kind of preparation goes into it for them? Like, how familiar was? Um, did you say Robin was it the Robin Robin Field? Mm-hmm. Robin Field. Um, it's a male. Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so, what kind of preparation did he put in as far as just like really knowing the story, or was it kind of a cold read? Or I would assume they would they would. Read the book he read, first, or he reads it. He reads it ahead of time. Um, okay. But and I don't know his specific uh, uh, preparation. He's yeah. uh, he he lives in a, a, a different state, and uh, he, Robin uh, was. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. About it was about ten years ago uh, that we. Uh, that the, that the gallery produced an art script, and and we yeah I remember that. Yeah. okay so we took uh, some artists one of our art history PhDs musicians uh, and we did an arts themed cruise down through the Caribbean and part of what I wanted to do for that was to bring some sort of literature or you know some part of the written word. Into to that whole experience, rounding out not just the music side and the visual art side, but get get some of the uh, uh, fiction side in as well. And we decided on um, uh, doing a, a play, and it ended up being um, 
a wonderful piece that hadn't been uh, produced in uh, nearly a century. So, and it huh. was highly acclaimed at the time that it uh, came out and um, called uh, Monavana. It was one of Ayn Rand's favorites, actually, and that's how I had heard about it. And uh, Dr. Leonard Peikoff had done a uh, uh, had talked about it in in one of his lecture series, but it hadn't been produced in in, in forever uh, since the wow. early part of the 20th century. So uh, we put together a a, a team, a, a director, and and some uh, actors, all who lived in Southern California at the time and had classical training and and uh, wow. pull off the dialogue for this. And Robin happened to be one of those. And he did an incredible job. We did about a three-week run of this show down oh, wow. in uh, Hollywood, right next to the Kodak Theater. I'm not sure if it's still called that. I think it's something else now. Uh, but uh, right down there in Hollywood Boulevard and, and um, a little three-week prep run before we brought it onto the cruise to be performed wow. the final night for all of our, our guests. And Robin was part of that small cast, and he brought this uh, character to life just beautifully. And on top of that, uh, he has uh, uh, his, his primary career, before he got into more into voice acting, he was a, uh, a, 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 a music uh a, a, a song and piano entertainer in kind of the old uh, American standard hmm. uh, uh, school of of entertaining. And uh, he had a partner that he worked with and they were in New York and he was on the big TV shows at the time. And uh, so just wonderful performer, oh, wow. but turned out to be, you know, fantastic stage and uh, actor as well. And now he's done a lot of wonderful uh, voice acting work. So, so I knew Robin from that experience about 10 years or so ago, and I had heard about and then had the opportunity to go online onto uh, audible.com and listen to a sampling of a lot of the other work that he's done. And he's reading classics from Twain and uh, uh, and a lot of non nonfiction as well, but hearing his, his character work that he would do and yeah. – uh, some of the stories, I thought, oh my God, that can't even be the same person talking. <laughs> but it's just really remarkable how uh, how much of a range that, that That's great. Uh, some voice actors can bring. So, and we're also uh, we're also philosophically uh, sympathetic with what we um, empathetic with with what. Uh, yeah. Our, our values, and I knew that he would understand the story that I'm writing, and that was one of the most important parts to me, that he would understand where the characters are coming from, um, what's important to them, the interplay between them, and uh, he just he, he's done a wonderful job, so it's been a, been a pleasure working with him. Yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds like just you know, hearing the, hearing the admiration for, for his work that you have and, and, uh, the history between the two of you, it sounds like now, like that would just add so much uh, for me. I, I think I would take that as like, what a huge addition to my book, be able to, being able to have someone like that 
involved in this way doing you know doing the audio but like now it's sort of like in a way it's a collaboration and you and you guys have made another piece of art together right to me that it sounds is. It, it, uh, it's yeah. a new piece of it's you know it's it is it's an it's, it's a new piece of art it's 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 a reading of one that I already created, but but when it's done, it's a it's a different medium. The audio is a different right. medium. The same way, uh, in the same way that a a film is a film story is going to be different than a book that it's even closely based on. Uh, right. I mean, even if you think about some of the books that that they've they've done really tight close. Um, uh, adaptations of say that the Harry Potter films come to mind because I'm looking at them up, looking at the books up on my bookshelf. I don't know if you read mm-hmm. any of those or not or saw the films, but the films were 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 pretty darn close to being about as 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 uh, uh, well as you could do for for bringing something from the book to the screen. But yeah. it's a different animal. It's just a right. different work of art because you, you it's being told visually as opposed to uh, uh, just by the word. So the same thing kind of happens with, uh, or does happen with audio books. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is a different, it is a different uh, work, particularly once you get the uh, uh, the dialogue being read and performed. So yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm very honored to have him doing the work. And um, I'm also yeah. in that same vein, you know, this, this transitions real nicely into, uh, I'm talking to, uh, an illustrator now. Uh, oh, uh, who actually I can't bring that up yet because we have, we have. <laughs> okay. I can bring it up, but I can't say who because we haven't. We have. Uh, we're still. Uh, we're still uh, tiptoeing into the shallow end together and in, in the exploring sure. things and finding out whether or not this is going to work. But um, can you talk about what what the basic idea might be? I can be? talk about sure. I can talk about the basic idea and. Um, or even more than just the basic idea, it's just what, you know, in a situation like this, whether it was Robin or whether it's with this illustrator, it's, it's, it's like any relationship and it's important, particularly for artists that are going to collaborate to, to, to try to see if you're, if, if uh, it's a good fit for both of you. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're, we're, we're testing this out first and we're trying something small and who knows where it may go. But so far so good. But we're starting with one of my short stories, and we're going to do an illustrated version of it. Uh, so not a graphic novel, like a okay. comic, not a comic book style, but but one that's a little more <clears throat> old school. Yeah. Um, one of the books we were talking about as we um, were talking about the project, you used to see a lot more of this with the great illustrators back in the mm-hmm. anywhere from the middle 1900s and going back 100 years plus before that 1850s up to the 1950s or so uh uh wyeth wyeth and uh yeah and and all of those but you would see whether it was children's type stories or youth type stories or even in the magazines mm-hmm. uh, where you would get a lot more serialized fiction there was a lot of illustration. Mm-hmm. that was coming along with the stories. And when they were bound in the books, you would see that too. Or I think looking at my editions, even of you know, Hugo on the shelf, all of this stuff used, yeah. is not uncommon at all to have wonderful 
pen and ink illustrations accompanying things. And um, so we're, we're going to try a little bit of a hybrid where it's a, a little heavier on the illustration, but you still have all of the text. Wow. So, and there's, so there's just be like, full full pages of illustration. There could be in a couple yeah. of places. There could be so you know whether it's an opening scene or a scene that's just boom right in the middle of a yeah. uh, that's been leading up to and yeah you do a you maybe do a full uh, full page illustration and then uh, and then the next page you may only have something up in the corner um, and, yeah. and you and you can run things along the side and you can. Uh, Kind of open the text into the illustration a little bit, and and mm-hmm. uh, you can do a lot more these days with uh, with formatting than they used to be able to do back in the days where you had to lay out all the text uh, or all the all the type manually, and you kind of had to do things in blocks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these days you can shift things around more easily. You can uh, take margins and kind of diagonal them into in towards an illustration open the side of the illustration a little more but we're going to play with it yeah. see see what happens and uh have some fun with it and and see where it goes but that's kind of a um it, it's 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 along the same line of 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 taking a written story and and shifting it towards the stage or towards the screen but um but yeah the illustrations of uh, it, it, it's a fun uh it, it's a fun way to make things uh visual for the reader um uh, but it is a different it is a different piece of art when when you do that um right otherwise the reader is is doing it all in their in their heads which is wonderful too yeah, I was just going to ask you if you if you feel like um, illustration. Uh, I, I would assume you you this is um, feel like it adds to it, but but you just mentioned you know some people uh, like to have it all in their head. Um, right. Was that something that you thought about or or gave you any pause, or are you really you really like the idea of having an illustrated story? Um, yeah. Eventually, I I think ideally you might a, a writer might want to to do a work that uh, that's specifically for this mm-hmm. format, knowing yeah. that right. you're going to have yeah. illustrations to carry the the the, the visual conveyance of of, of the scenes of say the way that the characters look. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, I guess that's more graphic novel style, or the or the point of a graphic novel, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know the they you're automatically doing that. You know, with the graphic novel, the the, the text and everything is 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 really secondary. When, yeah. You know, when you turn a page, you're looking at all the pictures first, and that's in as with watching film or with stage, the the visual is the primary and it carries it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's something. Do you that, think there's a way to do? Do you think there's a way to make like kind of like a hybrid? Um. You know what I mean? That just. Ooh. Yeah, that's what we're kind of playing with. Um, okay. 
and seeing, you know, and the danger is that it's that that one side tries to compete too much with the other, or it becomes uh, uh, confusing, conceptually yeah. confusing to a reader, where they're not sure which part to, uh, you know, pay attention to first or the most or or whatever. But I think there's a way with the, yeah. the flow on the page, particularly. I mean, you know, as a as a painter, this is one thing I was talking with the illustrator about the other day, but we we scan visual images, particularly in the West. We we, we scan left to right. We scan top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've taken images of paintings and and uh, to demonstrate this and, and flip them in a reverse image. And mm-hmm. depending on what's going on in the painting, it's it's quote unquote red very differently depending on mm-hmm. which way the objects are laid out and the flow, the composition of a piece. Um, my uh, One of the images I used to, to demonstrate that is one of my paintings that I used to uh, as the cover art for my lunch break collections of, collection of stories. And the, the painting is called Lunch Break and it has a young woman in a uh, uh, a shorter length black dress lying up on top of a uh, a tall office building skyscraper up at the top of this uh, uh, city that's been Mm -hmm. visually it's kind of carved out of this canyon that's in the background and it all turns and and curves and, and lifts up towards her, and then the, the lines of the composition just extend right up uh, up through the top of the the top of the frame, and and so the city is down in the left, and she's sort of up in the middle, and then and then the lines extend up up further to the right. But if you take that very same image and you flip it over, then and which I've done on the back of this paperback. I took the image yeah. in, in uh, paint shop or Photoshop and I visually switched it and I paint and I uh, edited her out just so that one side wasn't really competing with the other. But, but a person can see the way that the image flows in a completely different direction when it's reversed. All of a sudden it feels like instead of an ascending, yeah. uh, an ascending curve to the to the way that 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 we sense it it feels like it's doing the exact opposite it feels like it's descending down into the city in this canyon because just just because of the left to right flow of it so all that to say getting back to the illustrated uh uh, story that we think that there's that there's probably a way to keep the text and the images flowing in a way that that a reader a viewer would naturally consume it would would naturally scan it that mm-hmm. will keep the uh that will keep things moving along uh cognitively in the direction that that we want it to but we're going to play around with it and 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 see what we can do um but that cool. that's one that's been one of the or that can be one of the the downsides to a a graphic novel is that boom you get this big image and 
little bits of text and dialogue splashed all over the place. And, and, and sometimes, I, I'm, I'm not a big consumer of graphic novels. I've only mm-hmm. just sort of sampled a few here and there. But And as a kid, I grew up with comic books and stuff. But um, it can be a little confusing where you're supposed to you know, right. What am I supposed to look at first? What's happening? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Which piece of dialogue do I read first? Yeah. Right. And yeah. they're kind of designed that way to where it doesn't really matter. You just look right. at whatever, whenever, and 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 kind of smorgasbord your way through it and and um, and enjoy it that way. But but mm-hmm. you know, being a, a very plot-driven sort of fiction writer, I I I, I want things to. I want I want to d- direct it a little a little more and and um, give the reader a, a smoother experience through something even if it's a, even if it's an illustrated story. So and my illustrator is totally on board with this and it's something that that we're both on the same page on. So uh, well, uh, so we're going to play with it and, and and see what happens and see what we can do and then and then if one or two of our little experiments work. Um, well, maybe I'll I'll try to write something that's uh, uh, that's tailor made for something yeah. like that to where you know maybe I wouldn't uh, describe in the text a particular scene, but I would describe that to my illustrator so that he would right uh, so that he would put it put it in there that way. So yeah, we'll see. So you are. Yourself? Are you self-publishing all of your your writing right now? Yes. Okay. Um, and so, does that mean? I assume that means you're paying uh, you're paying Robin the you know to yep. do the audio, and you're paying the illustrator, paying these guys out of your pocket. That's why I sell <laughs> your paintings <laughs> so that I can afford to pay these guys. Uh, and somehow keep the rent paid and, you know, the yeah. groceries coming in the door. But that's, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I would kind of like to get into, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just going to assume where you're going as far as the, yeah. the, the career, the, the money making side of all this, uh, how, how do you do it and, uh, yeah. and make a living at it. And, for me, uh, that's been, as with most artists, I guess, who, who uh, don't have a trust fund to lean on, um, I, <laughs> I've, from the very beginning, I've had to try to figure out how to make a living doing this, and that's actually how the whole uh, gallery came into existence. I, My first career choice out of high school uh, I wanted to be a fighter pilot, so oh, I, wow. I joined the Marine Corps, and I was uh, to to be a pilot in the military. You have to be an officer. To be an officer, you have to have a college degree. Uh, I didn't have the money for college, and uh, I was a little distracted in my last couple of years of high school, so my grades weren't great. Um, yeah. I didn't have a didn't have a couldn't get a scholarship to anything, but if if one enlists in a branch of the military, uh, there are ways to get um, into 
the academies from the enlisted side. So that was my path. I, I hmm. enlisted in the Marine Corps, served a, a couple of years was um, before uh, I was nominated to and accepted to the Naval Academy. Uh, I spent a year at the Naval Academy prep school in Newport, Rhode Island. By then, I had been in the military three years. I had visited the Naval Academy for a week with the first-year kids there, the plebes. I had already served down in Guantanamo Bay in the Marine Corps uh, for oh, wow. a year. I had friends who were being shot at in Beirut by then. And, um, and, and I, I, I was discovering that the that the military side of the military, as much as I wanted to fly, um, just wasn't sitting well with my independent nature and needs. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and it's the exact opposite of an artist's existence. Yeah. You have no say over anything and, um, and you have to obey every order without questioning and no arguing. And, and, um, mm. and I always wanted things differently than, the way I was seeing them being done, and uh, you couldn't just sit down with these guys and reason with them and say, hey, "No, man, maybe we should. no, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't work out well. You end up buying bars." And uh, <laughs> so it, it was just in, in the the deeper things that were more important to me, as it turned out, than than, than flying a jet, as much as I would have enjoyed that. Um, the the things that made me uh, uh, shift in the direction that I have into the arts uh, were already there and were always there, and uh, mm-hmm. and that 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 side of me was was needed needed much more attention at the time. So so after I got out of the Marine Corps, spent the full four years, and um, I I was at a crossroads and. And at that point, I was just trying to figure out, well, really, what do I want to do? And yeah. and was able to identify that growing up as a kid, that uh, trying to keep the long story short, uh, literature really uh, was what turned me on the most. It was my window into the world, my education. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it, it excited me reading exciting stories, uh, and 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 I thought I'd give it a try. So I, mm-hmm. uh, I was so that so you did you kind of pursued that a little bit first before painting. I absolutely did, and, and I was okay. I was starting to write, uh, uh, learning how to write short stories first, and I was waiting tables at the time. I was doing. So what age the, is this? This is about early twenties. This is my this is my early to mid twenties, and um, doing odd jobs, this, that, the other, and mm-hmm. and um, anything from from literally digging ditches for about a week um, yeah. to security guard work to working in a mailroom, um, meeting <laughs> tables, uh, and then that stuff was, was getting old fast. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I was trying to find something that just wouldn't, wouldn't leave me uh, kind of spent at the end of the, I needed, 
energy and time to, to work on the on the writing, so I shifted more into a white-collar job by the time I moved out here to California from Indiana, and uh, uh, office-type work, and that was just spiritually draining for me, too. So yeah. I was looking for a way to support the writing, and... And I'll try to keep this part of the long story short too, but I, <laughs> um, but, but painting was something that I had been around painting. Uh, my dad was a sign painter and I, I grew up around his sign painting shop growing up and had done a little mm. bit of lettering and a lot of prep work. And I, you know, I had been around paints and brushes and mineral spirits and, 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 yeah. and painting a straight line with a, a brush and using, um, uh, I'd been around that side of, of, of painting. And then my, my sister, my younger sister had been going to an art school in Indianapolis and was coming back with projects. And I was even involved trying to get her going with selling some of her portrait work and stuff. And she would be bringing projects home. And, and my dad had done a little painting, fine art kind of painting on the side himself. And I, I could see it was doable. And I, it was one of those things like skiing where I thought, you know, I can do that. <laughs> um, so yeah. I I jumped in and and that was pre YouTube. Uh, went to the <laughs> yeah. I went to the library and 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 uh, you know, started getting books and 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 started wow. uh, self self teaching and and I, I was discovering from the get go that you know you, you can you can learn a lot of the principles from from what's written and what's out there um mm-hmm. but i was discovering that that i was really learning the most from from putting the brush on on canvas and and just figuring oh, out yeah. how to get from mm-hmm. get what was in my get what was on the canvas to look like what was in my head i could see it in my head yeah um, I could visualize what I wanted to do very easily, uh, mm-hmm. just, you know, learning the, the, the skills to make that, that happen was the, uh, was the, the real challenge. So for me, it was a lot of, of learning by, by doing and just training, training my hand to do, uh, uh what my eye wanted it to do. And, mm-hmm. and, and then also learning, you know the the aesthetic side of it um how to how to how to structure things how to make some things more essential and and others disappear and and mm-hmm. uh, um, and interestingly there's a lot of crossover between what i was learning to do with writing and the painting uh, and to this yeah. day it fascinates me i can uh as I haven't painted, unfortunately, in, in uh, quite a while now because I've been so involved in the in, in the writing side, and I want to get mm-hmm. back to the painting at least on a part-time basis eventually. Um, yeah. But I, there's been a couple of times when I've when I've gone back and, and picked up the brush again, and I've found out that I'm a I'm a better painter than I was when I stepped away from it because wow. most of it's happening in the, my my brain is 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 being trained as an artist even when i'm writing i'm i'm yeah 
I'm That's essentialized. I, I'm, you know, bringing some things to the fore. I'm shifting some things back. Mm -hmm. I'm, it, you, one does the same thing uh, when writing as one does with painting in terms of, of measuring every element against every mm -hmm. other element. And, and so the artist, the artist's mind, um, there's there's this there there's the the, the the fundamental aspect of of what's going on whether it's music or fiction mm -hmm. or painting or sculpture it's they're different mediums it's a different media but but it's it, it, it they're still similar enough that the same type of process is happening creatively yeah. to where yeah. I found that, yeah, wow, switching back to paint, paint, painting makes me a better writer and writing makes me a better painter. Um, yeah. You're telling a story on, on, on the canvas and, and I've told people eh, what I'm trying to do on the, on the written pages is, is create a painting, a moving painting with, with words. Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose film is the natural, uh, the natural uh, uh, intersection between those two, yeah. or, or yeah. juncture uh, combining those two together. Uh, but I don't think I have time for a third career. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that it, it's not a, um, it's not maybe a, a, an exact metaphor to what you're talking about, but. I do a lot of teaching and I find that even if I, you know, I'll maybe be teaching a figure drawing class over, over several weeks and, and not actually getting the time in the class to draw very much myself. Yeah. But I find that when I do have a moment, sometimes, you know, after several weeks, I, you know, everybody's kind of uh, far along in their drawing. They don't need a whole lot of instruction at that point. Um, you know, I'll grab a, sheet of paper and start drawing from the model and I'll I'll find that um I don't feel I don't feel rusty and I think it's that same thing because I've spent the last several weeks talking and looking at looking at that pose and talking to all these different people about their drawings and so when yeah. I get to get to actually you know put graphite down on paper it 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 you know I, I don't feel like I'm rusty I don't feel like oh boy <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's you know, there, time, but... there's certainly the element to where there, you know, there there's the hand to eye, the facility with a with a with a pen or or with with graphite or with a brush or what have you. There is that, and you mm -hmm. you certainly get better, particularly when it comes to mixing colors and so on. With oh the, sure, yeah. the more you do it, the more automatized yeah, yeah, yeah. and the more natural it is. However, um. There is that. Well, what's what's the phrase we use? Uh, you, you're, you're learning learning to see. Um, mm -hmm. You're not just looking. You're learning to see with art, and and that's, that's yeah. And you're what, yeah. I guess you're you're sort of. Um, I guess the overlap is is learning to essentialize, maybe. Yes. Yeah. You're essentializing, and 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 you're you're seeing. Uh, you're learning to see relationships right. um, yeah. and and so whether it's a relationship yeah, a, within yeah. 
within an entity between the parts mm -hmm. or between entities or uh, when you start talking about aesthetically structuring things, um, uh, kind of ma you know, mathematical level relationships that we don't think of in terms of math when we're, we're usually when we're painting <laughs> or drawing, but but right. there's you know you're breaking down spaces and yeah. and you're 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 building up masses. There there is a a mathematical based structuring going on and. <laughs> And when you look at subjects, you know, when you're there in, in your class looking at what your students are trying to do and you're measuring between what's happening on their, on their paper or on their canvas and, and what they're looking at, you, because of the way that you've trained your mind and your eye, you're seeing, you're seeing much more clearly the difference between what they're putting down on their paper and what they're looking at and right. that's usually what it is it's not so much that that they can't get the line right it's that they don't see it right they're they're not right they're not they're not seeing that 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 part of that plane that as it goes into mm -hmm. the curve is disappearing around the corner they're they're seeing much more broad they're not seeing the the parts and the pieces in the same measured way that yeah you have yeah that's important do. Yeah, because so much. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I like that you mentioned that because it, it is so much more important to see those relationships than um, the hardest thing. One of the hardest things um, to 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 get across to students is is to let go of trying to make this beautiful line in the beginning of a drawing and yeah. to sort of let it. Uh, let it develop based on based on those relationships, and right. and you know you kind of carve out those those beautiful organic lines at the end once all of the once all of those relationships are set. But yeah, that's. Um, but it is interesting how, um, particularly you know when people are trying to draw, they have a pencil in their hand. They're thinking of of, of a line you know, a straight line. They're not thinking in terms right. of, of masses and forms. And, and they, it, some artists are able to go almost immediately to the line, but I, I think that, that most when they're starting out mm -hmm. probably need to learn to think in terms of masses first. And, and that, you know, in, in real life, yeah, what they're looking at doesn't usually have many real lines. What, what we interpret is a line Visually, I'm looking at this coffee table in my living room as I'm walking around. <laughs> so the, the, what I see as a, you know, or what a what a beginning student would think of as a line between the edge of the leg of that table and the receding floor back behind it isn't a line at all in real life. It's it's it, it, it's where visually one of those things stops. And right. the other starts in terms, of, but you know, you and I, as experienced artists, have learned to to kind of wrap that mass around, wrap the light around right. that around that corner, because we think more in terms of okay, this is this is a, a mass of form that's here, and it's receding back around this corner, and the light is coming off of that that thing behind it that's brighter, <laughs> and and the line is softened by the light that comes around it. Um, 
but but yeah, the the, the lines are often more uh, of a, of a cognitive delineation between forms, and in real life, they're often not there. Yeah. Or the corner, and so what's really important conceptually is the entity itself. And then the division between that and whatever's next to it or behind it or in front of it is, uh, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it'll be there. If, if you if you get the the masses of the forms right, the the lines will often sort themselves out a little better. Yeah, that that for me that switch for me was, um, you know, going from illustration school and then going um, to Jacob Collins Atelier. That was the biggest. Uh, unlearning I had to do. <laughs> yeah, between illustration, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because and and the biggest almost, breakthrough, yeah, right. is to start seeing start seeing the parts of uh, of a figure, for example, um, as a series of shapes, kind of interlocking shapes. That was the biggest breakthrough for me in drawing. I think. Right. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, but that speaks to, I mean, the same bringing that back around to uh, uh, literature. It's it's yeah. the same kind of thing is happening when when I create a scene in a story and I'm creating the characters and they're whether moving around through a room or or, or talking to each other. It's um, you know you're you're working with with, with entities and you're working with. Uh, Working with with forms and in, in, in I've heard of some young writers trying to say outline a story hmm. first, and and that's almost the same kind of can be the same kind of mistake that a hmm. that say a beginning art student would make, where they're they're worried about the lines more instead of what you know what kind of this happens then this happens then that yeah. ha- that kind of thing yeah well yeah that and 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 let's just say going about it very inorganically kind of uh yeah uh trying trying to create something all the way from the top down um in a way right. that just it just doesn't really reflect of or does it does it end up uh producing something that's that even feels very alive or yeah. real. Um, where, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, kind of going a little bit back to our, our audio conversation, but I'm listening to um, Les Miserables on audio right now. And mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I mean, what an incredible example of uh, organic writing. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you you have all this history of you know after the French Revolution mixed in Napoleon and right. um, you know and then you know, all the characters' backstories and then um, you know re- characters coming back up again in different parts of the story and it's it's just it's incredible I can't to me I think writing a novel is like I feel like there are other things I could do artistically I don't know that I could write a novel. Um, just all the huge, just huge amount of integration that goes into that. Um, I don't, you know, if it, people will sometimes ask, 
not not me, but <laughs> I've heard this question asked of other people. You know, if you if you couldn't do what you're doing, what would you do? And the only thing that ever occurs to me was, well, I'd probably be a musician or um, maybe an actor or something like something else artistically. But I, you know, or maybe. Um, uh, maybe a nonfiction writer or something, but but a a, a a novelist. I just I don't I can't wrap my head around that. Um, it's a challenge. But, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, you're talking about organic writing, and same for uh, we're both fans of Ayn Rand. She's yeah. the same way, you know. Um, this all of the integration and the organic nature of of Alice Shrugged and the Fountainhead and. Um, yeah, you so, really have to you really have to learn to work with you know both the conscious direction and, and your subconscious and 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 you know, for anyone who's read uh, the Romantic Manifesto or um, I think she covered it as well in the Art of Fiction Writing, but. Mm-hmm. Um, learning how to, I mean, you do a certain amount of direct pre-directing and preparation and, and so on, but, but down at the creative level, you really have to, to, to cut loose and, and let your, let your mind do what you've, you've prepared it to do. And then you go back and edit the heck out of it a lot of times, but it's can be similar in, um, or it is similar in in uh, in, in in painting and in sculpture where you really do have to start using um, terms like flow, but 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 yeah, the you know you, as as a human being with hands and eyes and in 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 your mind, um, you have all the the tools to to paint to sculpt or. To, to write and that's what we do and we don't have to, to micromanage tiptoe our, our way through those things or, or over over direct ourselves as as we're doing them uh, we can be very purposeful and uh, very creative to the degree that we surprise the heck out of, our, out of ourselves what what comes yeah. out uh, and you know, not trying to repress those things or be afraid of them or being, you know, one of the biggest things for artists of any stripe is you know, fear of failure and making mistakes and yeah. disappointing ourselves or other people or, or, or what have you, but being willing to uh, to make errors and um, either do better next time or correct them or, or, or what have you. But So when you lot. sit down, say you sit down to write... Um, a passage. So how much of it is based on kind of notes that you've already made or, and how much of it is, are are you saying that, that it could happen that you sit down to write a passage and when you sit down to write, you haven't quite decided where it's going? Um, Yes and no. <laughs> I'll try. To, I'll you know I I'm I'm sure that I plan uh, my stories in much more carefully than than most writers do. I think most most writers today are still being taught 
kind of a very subjective sort of emotive sort of process where, you know, whatever comes out is wonderful. Um, yeah. And it's usually not. Uh, or there's <laughs> wonderful parts and pieces of it, and maybe the middle of it's great, or the beginning's great, and then it just pales off in the end, and it's kind of like a French film. Yeah, it fails. Oh, it's over? <laughs> um, right. So I, I'm a, 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 a big fan of... For me, the 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 one of the greatest things about fiction is that everything can build up to a moment that is that is so packed with with meaning and uh that that everything in a novel can contribute to to something wonderful at the end mm-hmm. meaningful mm-hmm. at the end um, yeah. that, and for a, for a, a, a plot driven piece that is, uh, uh, peopled with, with characters who, uh, are, are purposeful, uh, who have free will, who are making choices and who have, who have, uh, values and conflicts in the story to be resolved or met or, or foiled sometimes, but um, um, in my mind, there, there's not much of a reason to, to write a story unless it's going to add up to something. And if it's mm-hmm. you know if it's going to add up to something at the end, just like with you know with a good film that you see, um, yeah. you you want the most meaningful resolution possible. So so there's an opportunity to measure as you do in a painting. There's the opportunity to measure every part against yeah. the whole and and not to have distracting parts, not to have things that meander off, not to stick some little dove in a corner just because you're bored or because just because there's white space for it, uh, if it's a distraction from from the primary subject of the piece, and you can have paintings where the white dove is not a distraction, right? uh, but um, but the whole should be cohesive and, and, and integrated, and mm-hmm. uh, you want all of the parts to, to uh, add up as meaningfully as possible. So down, you know, I, I, when I write. Um, I've I've almost almost always I know what the ending is going to be before I start. I know what the beginning is going to be before I start. I'll mm-hmm. usually go in order from figuring out the whatever I start with, whether it's a character, a situation, a plot, a theme, um, uh, just a general ooh, what if yeah this sort of thing happened before I can really structure the story. I need to find I need to know where it's going. Yeah. So even sure. if even if I don't know exactly how the how the last scene is going to play out, I've got a I, I have a range of options that I know it's going to fall within. I mean, right. I know exactly how it's going to be concretized, but I know that this thing is going to end this way, and mm-hmm. it, I may change that. But that gives me my standard, my mark. This is what I'm aiming at. This is the spot yeah. up there on that mountain that I'm aiming my compass at. And yeah, I guess you, we're you have to know where sort of where you're headed. And the same thing just, breaks yeah. down, and it's true. 
from from sections of of the book all the way down to the right. chapter level and within okay. the chapters down to mm-hmm. down to the scenes and you know once i have a scene in mind that 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 i'm going to write i i know the purpose of the scene i know what needs to happen within it um i know the uh who's who's going to be saying basically what and why and I've thought a lot about these characters and, and I try not to, to, to over over plan it and, and overwrite it but but you can you can do it down to a particular level and to where it to where it plays out kind of like a, a film scene in your mind. Like like yeah. Like a like a film that you've already that you've already seen, you can hmm. you can see it, you can hear it, you can kind of okay. So this is the way this is going to play out, and so then you're you know, just sort of taking kind of kind of just sort of taking dictation from yourself in a way. Yeah, that, yeah, it really is. It's yeah, describing yeah. describing the film scene that I've already gone over in my yeah. head, yeah. and until it comes down to words it's not in words yet and, and and you can pick any number of words to get yourself from point a to point b and you, <laughs> with with good fiction writing you have to do that in a very efficient meaningful way whether the metaphors you're choosing uh, the dialogue you're choosing um you're trying to tell a, an interesting story in a suspenseful way um in a meaningful way and trying to communicate as much as you can with as few words as possible, unless you're mm-hmm. Hugo and then you just, whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> back in his day, he was allowed to go out, you know, <laughs> his level. I'll, I'll take it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but for somebody like me, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to put a, 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 a huge section on the battle of Waterloo in the middle of, in the middle of my novel. I'm glad he did, but, yeah. Um but you know, you're trying to accomplish as much as possible uh as as like in a painting, you, you know, you 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 don't want to overdraw things. You don't want to you you're only trying to give the viewer as much detail as they need until mm-hmm. their eye can fill in the rest to make it real. Like if you know, if you've got grasses happening over on the side, you know, you don't have to do every single blade. You can kind of do right. a field of color, and as you start to bring that into the foreground, all you need to do is a few little bunches of the grasses and a few more tightly defined blades, mm-hmm. and and the viewer grabs a hold of that and fills in the rest. Yeah. It's a very conceptual process. The same thing with, you know, well, you probably can come up with better examples than I can. If you're doing fruit, or something, you know, you've got the, you can have the texture right in the foreground, the part that's in the closest right. focus, and and yeah, it amazes me to this day. And we have wonderful still life artists, uh, including yourself. Um, how little it takes for for something to be made very, very, very real. Um, uh, just little bits of detail that. Uh, mm-hmm essential detail but it's enough detail to where to where the viewer uh, grabs a hold of that and 
and, and fills in the rest of it. it it's, it surprised me, continues to surprise me that I'll have fans come back and tell me how incredible a scene was that I described and I could see every detail. And sometimes they'll tell me more things about my story <laughs> than I put in it. <laughs> they'll, they'll take it and, and run with it. And I That's go back cool. and look at that scene. It's like, Oh my God, I all I, all I put in was, was this. Yeah. And this. But it was got to be pretty satisfying. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's fun. But you know, that yeah, as with, uh, I, I don't, I would imagine very few uh, visual artists do it uh, or, or or are aware of it how how the viewer's mind uh, is working when they see a painting that's been uh, that's been well uh, what's 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 the term for it. Um, that's that's romanticized yet realistic at the same time. Um, but you yeah. know, where only a certain amount of, of detail has been put in and yet, you know, we have people walk to the gallery and they'll look at a piece like yours and it's like, Oh my god, it's just like a photograph and, and you and I go, uh, no. <laughs> because we, <laughs> we know that. <laughs> Yeah. Because we know the closer you get, no. All of that photographic <laughs> stuff is not in there, and you would know yeah. the difference between a photorealistic painting and this one. But right, yeah, what, exactly. what they're trying to say is that's so yeah. real that right. um, you know it's. it's Isn't like it so funny that the realist, the most real thing people could think of is a photograph instead of actual? Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing they can associate it with. You know, it's a flat yeah. depiction on a surface. Right. So, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah. Uh, so the same thing, same thing happens in in, in fiction and fiction writing. Um, you're you're trying to um, give enough detail that 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 the the picture is painted, that the sound of the voices are are what you're trying yeah. to convey, and you have to do that all very efficiently because. The longer you take, the more sentences and words you use, um, the more aesthetic import you're you're giving to that one element. And uh, if you try to sit there and describe everything, and and um, which some naturalists have done over the time, and thank goodness that's fallen out of favor. But <laughs> you're not trying to describe the grain and the wood and the floor and you know, every single part of every room and everything that everybody's wearing and yeah. Um it's just A, it's impossible and, and B that accomplishes absolutely nothing. So uh right. so as I'm writing a scene, I'm there's a pace that's happening as you're writing a scene too. Um there's kind of a chronological flow, a, a sort of ticking metronome uh that that hmm. has to go on in a writer's head that that you know, as, as time is is moving along within within a scene or or a frame, everything has to be integrated or, or with a mind to the standard of of how much time you're using on on each element. Yeah. So you know, um, so that's all that's all part of it. But but and I you can it down you to a certain level. In... I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Sorry, I was just going back to like, you know, we were talking about um, how all, all of these different uh, creative arts kind of um, a, lo a lot of the same principles apply. You know, you were talking about kind of the, the metering out of the story and obviously, you know, it just made me think of music right. in the same way. Yeah, it's it's the similarities. Um, you know, there's the, 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 the cross um, cross sections between between music and, and literature because they do happen in time. Uh, mm -hmm. That that uh, are, are, are very those are very real. The, the aesthetics, the um, what our minds are, are doing with both of those, the aesthetics of, of the time. Uh, I wish I had a musician here to, to give me their, uh, their terms that they would, they would use, but, but the structure of the, yeah, like a time signature or something. Or... Yeah. Yeah. But the structure of, uh, of, you know, say between the different parts of a, of a classical piece, the different right. sections, uh, there's that. Yeah. And then within those sections, you know the the amount of time you use between this element and that element, or even between the notes. That's all. That's all. Yes. Got that underlying yeah. uh, math, mathematical relational relationship uh, equations mm -hmm. that uh, that you're working with. And so the I, same thing. Yeah. Is, same thing is happening within a within a. Uh, a plot as well within within any within any scene and you can use it uh in a way the same way that you can in 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 music uh you can kind of you can set up rhythms that mm -hmm. then you can play against uh whether it's within sentence or sentence structures or you've got a paragraph that's kind of flowing along and that 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 and then yeah and then you cut it off and you do the next sentence you do the next paragraph is just a three word sentence or something it's just boom 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 and it, and, and you yeah. get the same kind of pop out of that as you do if you had done a piece of music the same way where you'll get a particular rhythmic flow and then and then you play off it or against it or with it in the next section that uh, that you go into and Hugo was doing that in dialogue you know he's a master at at doing it, it's it's fascinating as as grandiose as he can as he can be in his scene descriptions and wandering off into historical essays and so on a lot of his dialogue is is exceptionally succinct and he's doing mm -hmm. uh, there's a literary term for it it escapes my mind at the moment but 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 when you're going down through a section of dialogue and it's just two or three or one word exchanges between the characters and it's just pop, 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 and it's a very yeah. powerful little uh, sequence that he'll get going and it's very tight and very efficient and uh, very powerful to, to do that and I think that plays against his uh, broader rangier uh, description of physical things and historical events and so on I think when you get to those sections right. of dialogue uh, I'm reminded of uh, there's a one scene in the garden when uh, I think it's Marius and Cosette are getting to know, finally getting to meet and know each other. And, and he, he talked, it's one of my favorite scenes in the book. He, uh, 
you know, they're, they're talking about this, that, and the other, and the weather and everything. They're just, they're practically babbling <laughs> on to each other about everything. And finally, yeah. at the very end of the scene, he concludes it with uh, uh, the paraphrase of, oh, and my name is Cosette, and I'm Marius. It's just, you know, he, he brings yeah. it down to that little, kind of funnels it all down to this one fine extraordinarily meaningful point yeah, where they're simply great. exchanging names and that just kind of puts a nice little ribbon and bow and wraps it up in a in a tight little point where if you if if students of aesthetics were taking that and comparing it to a painting it would be you know this painting that had all this wonderful stuff happening in a, in a room full of meaningful things to the person but but the the painter has has brought the light down onto this table and there's this one item that sort of brings it all together. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's say if it were a, a painting of, a, of a, a writer's room, it could be a, you know, you see a library full of stuff and his material yeah. and, the, and the other and maybe the dog and who knows what all else, but <laughs> the, the painter might focus it all down to where everything adds up to the the, if I wrote an older painting, the the the, the quill and the ink, just yeah. right there in the in the in the page waiting to be filled. That's just right there on the desk or something. But yeah. you know, writers do that. Musicians, composers do it. Um, Okay, so that concludes part one of uh, my conversation with Quint Cordaire. Um, sorry, that was a little bit awkward way to end, but um, it turned out to be a good place to pause. And we will pick it back up in a couple weeks, I believe. Um, one announcement before I end this episode. I am going to be teaching a 10-week-long um 10-week long pose figure drawing class at the Capini Academy of Fine Arts in San Antonio beginning this Tuesday, September 7th. Um, the class is in the evenings, 6.30 to 9.30. Go to Capini, or sorry, thecopini.org. Um, that's C-O-P-P-I-N-I. If uh, you're in the area and you'd like to join the class, um, I'm looking forward to it. So, that's all I have for you this episode, um, and I'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>